Welcome to the podcast of the Pilates Alliance of Australasia. The PAA strives to continue promoting the expansion of the Pilates method as a professional and valued healthcare and fitness discipline. The goal of the PAA podcast is to explore the many facets and layers of the Pilates industry through conversations with the community. I'm your host, Bruce Hildebrand. Welcome to the show. In the early stages of the podcast for the Pilates Alliance of Australasia, we wanted to lay down some foundational information. So to do that, this episode, we have the Treasurer and Public Officer for the Executive of the PAA, Robin Ricks. Robin is the founder and owner of Pilates Works on the lower north shore of Sydney, holds a diploma of professional Pilates instruction, and is a second generation Pilates instructor and trainer, having graduated from the Pilates Master Mentor Program conducted by Lolita San Miguel in Florida. Previous to becoming a Pilates instructor, Robin worked in the financial services industry as an actuary, gaining broad experience in many areas of business management. Then, with a complete change of direction, Robin completed a Bachelor of Arts in Architecture before pursuing a career in Pilates. Robin sees her role on the PAA Executive Committee as helping the Pilates industry develop as a professional, cohesive and supportive community that can continue to bring the joys and benefits of Pilates to as many people as possible. Robin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bruce. What we're talking through today are Robin's insights into the Pilates industry, in particular Robin's involvement in the Natural Therapies Review Expert Advisory Panel, let's use NTREAP for short, as well as a broad overview of how this process relates to a range of issues in the Pilates industry as a whole. The Natural Therapies Review, NTREAP, is looking at a whole heap of different modalities that they're examining to see if they're effective in treating different conditions. They did a review in 2015 and then in 2019 they decided that they'd remove health fund rebates for Pilates. When they'd done the study in 2015 they had a very limited number of studies. It was only 13 that they used. So when they decided to do the second review they asked if we could submit studies. We submitted over 420 studies to them. They're quite challenging trying to find the studies that actually work for us because often when you do a study they want to do something called double blind. So if you do, say, a pharmaceutical study, you want the people who are taking the drugs not to know whether they've got a placebo or not and the people who are assessing the results not to know whether or not they've had a placebo. Now, that's pretty hard in Pilates to do. How do you get someone to do Pilates who doesn't know that they're actually doing it? And how do you get someone to teach Pilates who doesn't know they're teaching? So we initially start off in quite a difficult situation. We managed to convince the government that we really couldn't satisfy all the requirements that you'd normally have for research. The other issue that we have is a lot of our studies are very small and obviously the more people you have in the study the better but there's lots of studies where there's maybe 50 people in the study. The interesting thing is that recently they came back to us after we'd submitted all the studies and actually said they had too much research for them to do the analysis on all of it and so they've asked us if we could narrow it down initially to 30 different conditions covering things like lower back pain, Parkinson's, arthritis. That's where we're at the moment. And remind us how many research papers that you reviewed as part of your contribution to that discussion? There was about 420 reviews that we submitted. Not all of those will have been accepted by them. Some of them were foreign language ones. Some were published in journals that maybe are not quite as reputable as others. So I'm sure they will have narrowed that down from the 420 But it was a good start to show them the evidence for Pilates across such a broad range of different conditions. 
Can you perhaps speak to your takeaways from researching and looking into so many of those papers? I think one of the things that's interesting about Pilates is that we don't tend to do a lot of measurement on people. So, for example, if you went to a personal trainer, mostly they will do at least some measurement on you, height, weight, waist circumference, stuff like that. And Pilates has traditionally not done that. From my point of view, it's actually a bit of a pity because if we did all do that, well, there'd actually be an enormous amount of research. So it really takes someone to go, okay, I want to find out whether does Pilates help with scoliosis. So there have been a few people in places like Italy and in the Middle East where they've been doing some really good studies. And sometimes they'll do something like there's a Persian study where people were trying to figure out whether Pilates helped deaf people with their balance because they have a vestibular difference, not being able to hear, and Pilates was actually helping with that. So it's amazing the kind of breadth of things that Pilates can help with. And I think Pilates is such an unusual thing in that it can help so many people. I don't know what the youngest client is that you've ever had, but I've had a four-year-old who was having issues with their inability to go across their body, which has long-term implications for writing and stuff like that, right through to clients who are in their 90s. And we just cover such a broad range. and. We're so good at tailoring Pilates to the needs of the clients, from someone who's not fit at all to someone who's athletic, you know, professional athlete. I just think it's such an incredible modality to be able to help people, regardless of age, flexibility, whatever. So a pointed question, I think, on that end, Robin, how can we have this extensive research really translate into broader recognition of the impact of Pilates with the EAA's objectives? around broader community participation. Where do you see the gaps between reaching the audiences and having such a profound message communicated much more effectively? I think one of the challenges for us is that our industry is quite small. There's about 9,000 Pilates and yoga instructors in Australia, and we're not even really sure how that's split between yoga and Pilates. So it's hard to get that awareness. Once people do Pilates, they actually go, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. I feel so fantastic afterwards. So at the moment, we've relied on word of mouth to get the message across. And just because of the smallness of the industry, we just don't have the resources. So that's where the PAA comes in, that we try to amalgamate all of the resources that we can to try and get a louder voice. Next part of the conversation goes to where's the NTREAP conversation up to and where do you see it going? The other question is for the benefit of the members, how do we have the outcomes of the NTREAP really benefit the members in a meaningful mm -hmm. way? The third thing is, and again, it ties into the objectives of the PAA, reaching a broader audience is what's the impact of the NTREAP report on people's participation of Pilates? One of the issues of the NTREAP is that it's a really long process. So once they've looked at all of this research and if they decide from doing the, all the analysis of what we've submitted, that Pilates is effective, it's still quite a long time. So ultimately what we're trying to get is to get health fund rebates back because that's a recognition that Pilates is effective in treating different conditions. The issue is that they need to decide what's going to be included in the natural therapy side by October in the year because then the actuaries have to go away and work out the premium rates for the insurance companies and they're released on the 1st of April. So if we don't get it done by October this year to get that decision made as to whether or not Pilates should be covered, then if we don't meet that deadline, we won't get it reinstated until April 2023. 
for us that would be such a good outcome to actually have our health fund rebates reinstated. I'm not sure if people realise that when the government decided that Pilates wasn't effective, they actually made it illegal for the health fund to pay health fund rebates. It's not just they can't do it, it's actually against the law for them to pay for Pilates, which is a fairly drastic measure. And I know some of the health funds would like to allow people to claim Pilates because they know that in the long term it actually makes people healthier and less likely to have ongoing health conditions, which has a big cost impost on the health funds. While we're on this, can you take us back a little bit to the historical nature of their decision to remove the Pilates rebate from the health fund list? Has that got to do with the spectrum of which Pilates can be taught and perhaps a perception that Pilates being taught in a fitness setting is very different to Pilates being taught in a setting where it's more individualized and client-focused rather than a fitness objective. Can you talk perhaps about the history of the timeline through that, Robin? So in 2015, they did their first study. And my understanding is that because it was across a broad range of different modalities, then the one that I'm particularly concerned about is homeopathy, because there's actually very little research to show that homeopathy does anything better than placebo. But the problem is they admit that the research project they ran in 2015 was flawed and so they agreed to do another study, which is why I think they've been incredibly meticulous now and why it's taking such a long time to get through it. It hasn't helped that we've had COVID through the middle of all of that. So the health department's kind of been a little bit distracted, so their timeline got thrown out. It was just that they didn't have many studies. They didn't cast the net wide enough in their studies. So there were only 13. It was a very small number of studies that they used for that. For the government departments to be making decisions on what I understand is lack of information when you say less than 15 studies being included in their decision-making process, as contrasted the 400-plus that you've now submitted, that seems such a significant decision to have been made based on what I would consider perhaps a lack of information almost. And I think part of the problem is that I don't even know why we're called a natural therapy. I think the problem is we got lumped in with a whole heap of other modalities like naturopathy. Would you really consider us to be a natural therapy? I think we're a movement therapy and everyone knows that exercise is good for you. So even if you just start from that basis, then Pilates is a good thing. Can you give us your insight? Is being grouped with the natural therapies umbrella, is that advantageous to Pilates being able to get a health fund rebate or is it better for us to be grouped with the fitness and the movement? The advantage at the moment with Entreep is that it's an advisory panel and there's some really good people on it. The Pilates representative is Dr. Penny Lady, who's a Pilates instructor. She and I have actually been working together quite a lot on this. I think having the combined voices of all of the people, because there's yoga, which I guess would be the one that I would put as most similar to us, having that combined voice and having people examine the process that they're going through. There's a lot of academics who are on that panel. So I think that has actually been really helpful for us to have that kind of combined voice together. For the health funds, one of the issues that they've got is that young people are not joining the health funds and we have an ageing population in Australia and that's reflected in the membership of health funds. They're going to get into some difficult financial situations because as people are ageing, they're going to put more demand onto the health funds and young people are not joining. So the health funds are keen to actually have fitness, exercise, all of those modalities as things that people can get rebates for 
to try and encourage them to actually join the health fund. It's an interesting commercial influence on the big picture. Which is what, I guess for me, what Fitness Pilates is about, that it's a commercial decision quite often to run a Fitness Pilates class where you've got 10 reformers, 10 people, one instructor out the front, which for those of us who run studios is not true Pilates. But the problem is that running a true studio is an expensive business, having three people per instructor, all the equipment that goes with that. But I think that the outcomes that I get from my clients are much better, but it's not a way to make a lot of money. As we continue to expand this conversation in the discussions through the podcast, I think it's going to continue to highlight that there are many pulls or influences on the direction of which Pilates is going in Australia, and the commercial one is obviously a huge one in regard to not only education that's being provided both in long and short course forms, but also a lot of potential business opportunities that people see when there's the mass market or the volume conversation happening and the franchise type model, which is based on economics fundamentally. And I get it. And there's the ongoing constant balance between finding what is most tailored or individualized or the best outcome for a client when they really get to experience individualized Pilates, contrasting that to what the experience of a fitness Pilates class is and what having 10 or 20 people in a reformer group class and what the outcomes of that are in contrast to working with two or three or four people in a class perhaps. We've already seen that broadening of Pilates from being what Joseph Pilates originally designed it to be. I think the other thing that we're going to see not only at the fitness end of having bigger classes, but I think we're also going to see a lot more specialisation. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to see with the health funds, whether or not they decide that we need to have some kind of accreditation. So if you've got someone coming to you, say, for treatment for arthritis, will you have to have some kind of accreditation to say that you're a person who understands about arthritis and can actually treat that? So we may actually find a bit more specialisation at the other end of the spectrum. As an association, that's something we're looking at. How can we recognise people's special skills? And also that then if you're looking for someone, like I really like working with Parkinson's. I've done a lot of research on it. I have clients with Parkinson's. So I'd like people who have Parkinson's who are in my area to go, she would be a good person to go to. So making sure that we can start to identify those sorts of things amongst our members as well so that people can find the right instructor for them. Work that's been happening in the PAA for a long time is the establishing of different membership levels and relationships with education bodies across Australia and understanding that different practitioners are going to have different specialisation focuses with what they offer with their services and then overlaying that with how the health funds view those The way I see it is the PAA has a really important role in connecting all of those moving parts so there's a really clear pathway for everyone involved in the Pilates industry, both from the consumer side through to practitioners, through to the relationships with the health funds. Even simple things, Bruce. At the moment, if you have a look at occupation codes that the Australian Bureau of Statistics puts out, there is no occupation code for Pilates instructors. So they will only have an occupation code if there's more than 300 people in that occupation. We have way over that. So at the moment, that's something else that the PAA is actually lobbying for, is trying to get an occupation code. 
and that will help with that uncertainty about where we sit within health or whether we sit within sport and rec as government departments. And if we can get the occupation code to be in the health side, then hopefully we'll be able to push that issue with the government when they close us down during COVID. So it's just attacking the problem from as many different points of view as we possibly can. And that's the advantage of having an association that we have people come together with different histories and business experience. And then we've got the resources to actually do that. That's not something that an individual can do on their own. Also, in regard to the different formats in which Pilates is taught, I've always loved the many different broad range of applications that Pilates has. As long as everyone understands what they're actually getting themselves into and what they're purchasing and what they're educating themselves in, both from a consumer and an instructor training perspective, in your opinion, Robin, how do you see those delineations being made and best communicated to the community across the board? I think the important bit is that we continue to educate people on what those are. One of the things we've been looking at is an accreditation framework so that we can actually recognise where people sit on those different skill levels. I'm with you, Bruce. My personal experience, I started doing Pilates group reformer classes at a gym. I probably wouldn't have gone to a class if it was at a studio because I thought that was really only for professional dancers. So I started doing a class. I did it for a couple of years. I wonder if there's more to this. Decided to do the training and discovered that there was. So I think having fitness Pilates is actually an easily accessible place for people to start. And it would be nice if everyone could move then into a more personalised one, particularly as we're ageing and have more issues we need to think about. I think the more people that get exposed to Pilates, the better. It's going to be that little dip your toe in the water experience that either captures someone or doesn't. I think obviously having participated in so much physical activity in my life, there's some things that you're naturally drawn to and some that don't really float your boat. And that's absolutely fine. Not everyone is ever going to do Pilates. I know loads of clients who've come and give it a try for one or two or five sessions and said, you know what, it's not really my jam. A couple of months later, perhaps we cross paths in the street and they're really enjoying fitness Pilates at the gym. And like, high five, well done. I'm really glad that you're firstly for your mental health, enjoying something and really participating, being active fundamentally, but really it's resonating for you and good for you. Doesn't have to be one size yeah. fits all, and doesn't have to be only limited to reformer Pilates, and doesn't have to be only limited to Matt Pilates. Joseph Pilates designed a lot of his equipment so it can be easily produced and easily manufactured and easily duplicated. So you can grab a couple of small pieces of apparatus and have them in your home. One of the things that I love the most about my job is how often I will get people who are usually struggling a little bit with their weight. And they'll come and they'll say, I've been told by my doctor that I have to do some exercise. I'm going to give Pilates a try, but I hate exercise. I'm going to hate this. I'm only doing it because I have to. And then a few weeks later, they'll ring me up and they go, would it be possible for me to come two or three times a week? It just makes me so happy when that happens because of the ability to tailor it to the needs of the people. And that if you are not very fit and overweight, then we can do things that actually get you stronger and fitter don't make you feel like you're not capable of getting there. The thing that's been crossing my mind recently, Robin, is the classic cliche of sex sells. And as much as that's a little (laughs) on the crude line, I think to depict a tier of the population, let's say between the ages of 
18 or 19 up to 24, 25, when probably physically we're at our optimum in our lives, to focus on that group alone, I think it gives a falsity around what health and fitness looks like. Because we all probably had amazing abs at that age, and we all probably had amazing legs at that age at our most fit and active, both from a time perspective and what we had interest in diving into before we had more heavy-duty careers, responsibilities around life, around families, around parenthood and so forth. I think to continue to build out this amazing spectrum of offering that Pilates can speak to, because it absolutely can speak to such a broad range. Like you said, a four-year-old came for class. The youngest I had was a tennis athlete who was 15 years old on a scholarship at a local elite tennis center and wanting to be developing in that. But it goes all the way up to an 89-year-old client that I worked with recently. One other thing, Bruce, when you're talking about kind of long-term outlook for Pilates, one of the things I feel very strongly about is that we've actually lost the sense of touch with people. It's become such a politically charged area. And I think when you're working with clients and you are actually touching them, we always ask permission and we're really careful about how we do it. I think a lot of our clients crave that physical contact with other people. And I know for my clients, they feel like they're part of a family when they come to the studio, that we genuinely care about their well-being. And I guess that's the one thing that I think fitness Pilates misses out on is that connectedness. As we become more digital, having a place where you can go, where you're actually physically in touch with people is really important. It's probably made even worse by COVID because that's actually placed another separation for us, being in isolation, having to stay one and a half metres away from people. I think as human beings, we need contact. What I'm hearing is the commercialisation of Pilates where your returns for having more people in the room and essentially not having the physical capabilities to get around and interact with each of them individually is actually distancing the relationship between what the instructor can impart with their expertise and their knowledge to the client in a really personalised way. Yeah, but as we said earlier, we understand the commercial imperative. Thanks for your time on the call today, Robin. It's been wonderful to gain a deeper insight into the entry report Keep up the great work and thank you for your commitment to the ongoing progress and development of where the Pilates industry is headed here in Australia. We look forward to chatting with you again on future episodes of the podcast. Thanks, Bruce. There is a membership category for every Pilates enthusiast where the Alliance provides a wide range of information, resources and support for everything you want to know more of with Pilates. Help us expand the message of the PAA by sharing with your network of friends and colleagues today so that the Pilates community can continue to be a vibrant and inspiring network for everyone's benefit. You can become a member today by visiting the links in the show notes. For existing members, join us on the PAA Member Forum Facebook page where you'll find an ongoing supply of resources and conversations to continue supporting you and your participation and involvement in the many levels of Pilates here in Australia. The Pilates Alliance Australasia only exists because of the contributions of the Pilates community. If there's a topic or a conversation you would love to share on the podcast, then we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pilates Alliance podcast. Please leave your comments on the Pilates Alliance members forum Facebook page. Remember, for anyone who is yet to become a member, we'd love to have you put your voice forward for the benefit of progressing Pilates here in Australia.